Welcome to Credits Due, the podcast where we break down an actor's filmography one movie at a time. I'm Ben Cron, and joining me today is Tyler Owen. After a careful examination of the evidence, I've started smoking. And Neil Potter. Smoking hasn't killed me, but this movie gave me acute 80s poisoning. (laughs) And acute it was. uh, We are, of course, on part five of our series on Harrison Ford, where we'll be talking about the movie Working Girl, uh, directed by Mike Nichols. Um... Written by Kevin Wade. It stars Melanie Griffith, Harrison Ford, and Sigourney Weaver. Um, It is about uh, when a secretary's idea is stolen by her boss, she seizes an opportunity to steal it back by pretending she has her boss's job. (laughs) What a movie. (laughs) And of course, it came out in 1988. And boy, does it show. (laughs) Um, And as always, we'll start off with some film trivia about the movie, then dive into some box office, and then we'll dive into our full spoiler-filled discussion on the movie Working Girl, then end with some final thoughts on Harrison and on Harrison Ford, sorry. And then, of course, (laughs) we'll... No one who knows who you're talking about if you just say Harrison. (laughs) Uh, we are not on a first name basis, so I have to call him Harrison Ford. Um, and then, of course, we'll end with some recommendations. So, Tyler, you want to start this off with some film trivia? Sure thing. Every episode, I put together four pieces of trivia about our main film, and I've made one of them up completely, and you guys will guess which one that is. So, number one. Sigourney Weaver's character was originally meant to be closer to her real-life age of 39, but she insisted that she would only be involved if her character were the same age as the lesser-known lead, Melanie Griffith. Turning 30 years old was then worked into the script. Number two. $75,000 was taken out of Melanie Griffith's paycheck in order to finance a reshoot of a scene where she was incoherent due to alcohol and cocaine addiction. Number three. This was David Duchovny's film debut. Number four. What? (laughs) Number four. Alec Baldwin was originally meant to play the part of Jack, but the studio did not want two unknowns in the leads. All right. Uh, Neil, why don't you go first and guess which one it is? Um... Holy cow. So I believe the cocaine thing where it's 1988, of course. (laughs) So I'm going to rule that one out. David Duchovny? Really? Where? I guess you'll get to that. (laughs) Oh, oh, we're going to dive in. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, Wow. Uh, The false one. I'm going to go with the last one then, actually. All right, that Alec Baldwin was meant to play the part of Jack. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ben? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with the first one. Um, Because I I thought that that whole joke was a lie about her age. But um, I don't know. Is Sigourney Weaver that vain to... But I don't know. Who knows? That is the question. Okay, okay. Who's <laughs> the question? Let's find out uh, the answer. I'm going to yes. say that one is a lie. 
Okay. Well, and you would be correct. Oh, Sorry, oh, Neil. Well. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, from what I've heard of Sigourney Weaver, she is not that vain. Uh, no, her um, her character turns 30 years old in the movie, but uh, that was not something that she insisted on in the uh, uh, negotiating for this film. So, uh, But she was 39 at the time of filming. Hmm. And uh, yes, $75,000 was taken out of Melanie Griffith's paycheck oh, in order shit. to finance a reshoot. Um, apparently, they had to, they wasted an entire day on set where every uh, time that they filmed a sequence, uh, I believe it was the sequence dancing with the. Um, that company owner to convince him to give them the the um, the account, and she could not get through that scene without slurring her words and uh, incoherently rambling. Was this so. the end of the film, or oh oh the the wedding scene you're talking about? Yes, oh yeah, yep. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, she was uh, she was having a lot of difficulties with alcohol and cocaine addiction, and. After uh, doing reshoots to to fix what they could, the she went into rehab right after. So, I didn't I didn't really wow. dig too deep into how she turned out after that or where where her career went. But I haven't seen her in much else, and it, as far as I can tell, she's not been in any very successful films after this one, which is unfortunate. So, um, yeah. And then number three, uh, this is David Duchovny's film debut. And uh, <laughs> uh, Neil, you you didn't catch it because I didn't either. <laughs> no, where? <laughs> ben, uh, I went ben, back. Did you recognize yeah. it? I went back because I looked at the cast. Okay, and I was like, I was like, awesome, David Duchovny's <laughs> in this movie. Can't wait to see him. Um, yeah, no, he is. When she goes home, when Melanie Griffith goes home, uh. And there's that surprise party, and she like opens a closet or something, and there's a bunch of people in there. Okay, <laughs> just... he he is one of those people. <laughs> Wait, that's where he is? I yep. thought I thought when I read something that he was the guy who uh, came out of the bathroom stall or something, or maybe that was maybe oh, I'm thinking of the wrong no, thing. No, maybe right. Or is he in the bar? I, er, yeah, I, I'll have to go back and look. He was so inconsequential that I have no idea. No, no, <laughs> I, I think I'm right because okay, uh, yeah, because his his character's name in the cast listing is Tessa's birthday party friend. Ah, okay, and, that would make yeah. sense. So <laughs> he was in the two second shot where he yells surprise. Oh, that's great. Man, everybody's got to start somewhere, though, right? Got it. Oh, yeah. Right, right, right. This movie is kind of filled with just that. Like, oh some, my God. Yeah. There's like, like actors I think there's like that we know nine, now. Yeah. There's like nine Oscar award nominees and two winners in this. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Oliver and Platt, then. Joan Cusack. <laughs> Kevin yeah. Spacey. Oh, I, I didn't miss Kevin Spacey, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. yeah. Wish I had just skipped that scene. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah, and then number four, Alec Baldwin was originally meant to play the part of Jack, yet the uh, director really wanted him in that role, but the studio wouldn't let him have it. So uh, they had to have an awkward call where he uh, <laughs> begged him to play the uh deadbeat boyfriend I man, guess so man did he look the part what a sleaze <laughs> holy shit I know yeah. right? I was thinking oh like God. 
God, can you imagine if they're if they actually if he actually did play the role of Jack? Boy, this movie would be even less yeah, palatable. It'd be, it'd be different, that's for sure. <laughs> oh my god! Well, yeah. after trivia, we're gonna get into some box office stuff for Working Girl. So this came out December twenty. 20- Third, ooh, winter Christmas release of 1988. This had a production budget of $28.6 million and ended up with a total uh, domestic gross of $63.7 million. Um, its uh, opening weekend was only $4 million, but in 1988, I don't know if that's a lot. Now, I now I I never heard of this movie, and there's a reason why, because 1988 had movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Rain Man, Die Hard, Beetlejuice, <laughs> Coming to America, Naked Gun, Mississippi Burning, Big, like the list, the wow. list goes on. Like it is stacked oh the land the <laughs> land before time i watched that a million times um oh yeah <laughs> um but that is insane and i just picked another office movie to kind of compare this to also from 1980 1988 die hard takes place in an office as well <laughs> <laughs> very, very unsimilar wait movies. i thought that was a christmas movie you're telling me this is an office movie office as well movie? no working girl yeah it's an office yeah everyone write in is die hard a christmas movie or an office movie i would say working girl coming out december 23rd is more of a christmas movie than die hard which came out in july this whole system's messed up <laughs> well but wait they go to a wedding that has a hawaiian themed a hawaiian themed weddings wedding so wouldn't this be a hawaiian movie <laughs> call in 1-800-CREDITS-DUE uh, call uh, in tell how us about your you thoughts. just at cron master and tell them what's going on <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> Um, but Die Hard came out with an $83 million domestic gross. Obviously, this movie's probably uh, m- more known, um, but it actually uh, had almost similar opening weekends, believe it or not. Um, uh, well, it's hmm. a few million dollars, but like it uh, didn't even reach double digit million dollars for um, Die Hard. Only $7 million opening weekend. This That's is so interesting. <laughs> I feel yeah. like Harrison Ford at this time would carry a movie. I would think like so. everyone would be like, "Hell yes, I'm gonna go see that Harrison Ford movie." Well, like it, I don't care well, what's it, it, what it it's is about. It is his first romantic comedy, though, right? Like, it, did people? I don't know. I, I mean, I think I think he kind of did carry it in a way for it having been, you know, relatively successful for what it was. But mm-hmm. like, if the, if yeah. this movie were to have an opening weekend now, like obviously it'd be huge because it has like as we were saying a million like really famous actors in it right now, like. Like, that's nuts. Right. But like, I guess maybe some of these were unknown, like at the t- or lesser, way lesser known at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't know. It's crazy, man. Very possible. Very interesting. <clears throat> All right. So let's get into this movie. And I just want to start off by just kind of just kind of saying about Harrison Ford. He plays. Um, he plays a character named Jack Trainer, and 
that is an awesome name. Like, <laughs> Harrison Ford has the absolute best character names. Um, I, um, I almost think it's, like, in his contract. Like, I wonder if he just doesn't play characters that have dumb names. <laughs> <laughs> he gets final refusal on the just the name of his character alone. Yeah. Has to. <laughs> I'll, I'll back you up there. It is a cool name. <laughs> right I'm now, I'm just going to go through his uh, filmography here. In Paranoia, he's Jock Goddard. <laughs> oh, no. That's pretty good. Not, not as good know. as... Is that good? Or is it just dumb? Uh, <laughs> well, okay, yeah, it's dumb. <laughs> uh, so, this movie starts off... Uh, actually, Harrison Ford like doesn't really show up for quite a while in this movie. Thirty-five uh, minutes. Ooh, wow, thirty-five minutes. That is shorter than it felt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, this movie that is a long time. This movie runs oh two hours, um, not even two hours. It feels like a strong three. Mm-hmm. Um, but it follows Melanie Griffith's character. Uh, Tess McGill as she's kind of bouncing around um, just kind of entry level jobs um, almost. She's working at the stock exchange or some sort of broker um, like agency and she uh, in a pretty hilarious way um, she outs is uh or she basically like types into um what's it called uh the the ticker a ticker yeah she types in uh like lutz is a pimp or something (laughs) and that's Mm -hmm. referring to oliver platt's character who's one of the first like big big actors to show up in this movie like who was probably this is like early like uh, Oliver Platt mm-hmm. too. Um, and she did that because he set up what was he set up a basically a tryst for her and Bob Speck, uh, who is played by Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. But she sets it up or he sets it up as it's supposed to be a like job interview. Um, then yeah. she gets fired. You get the impression that that's not the first time he's done that either, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah, and it kind of sounds like she's she's working at a temp agency or a temp agency is like setting up her jobs. And it sounds like she has done this a lot, that she cannot keep a job basically because uh, she just the her um, co-workers are not treating her with respect and that leads her to getting a job for uh Catherine parker who is a executive i actually like never really figured out her job um there's a lot of there's a lot of like business talk like this for being a romantic comedy this is this is like verges on like the social network yeah. With, like, it does, yeah. you know it does. with like the amount of like business like jargon that's thrown around and and like major plot points around that understanding half of that jargon right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah it's basically a merger a merger happens (laughs) in this uh 
in this movie, and that's the main plot. It's not like to call this a romantic comedy is kind of weird. Like, <laughs> I, it, or, yeah, it's like almost a it borders on like a legal drama at times. <laughs> yeah, which is such a weird tone shift in, in between scenes sometimes. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the hottest like. The point where like Melanie Griffith's character is like getting on top, like on top of everything, and like getting her moment. Like I was like, I don't understand anything she's saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm sure this is good for her, but damn, what is she saying? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, so this, there's one point I want to kind of hash out. Um, th- her first day on the job is her birthday her 30th birthday. And when she meets Sigourney Weaver's character, who is her new boss, she makes the point to say that she's 29 and that she's about to turn 30 in like two weeks. Um, I thought that she was lying. I read that, that she was purposely saying that she was younger as like a power move. Did you guys not read it that way? Not initially, but like knowing Sigourney Weaver's character later on. Yeah, I can kind of see it. But no, I didn't Mm -hmm. initially think that. I was just like, oh, no. It's a very weird like couple. It's a very weird scene because it's never touched upon. But I just like it was just so odd. It was just such an odd scene that I almost like didn't believe it. But. Yeah, I'm not I mean, sure what to I, think. I guess that was the excuse for her to go on that trip, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that it was kind of just a. I, I guess she could have been lying about her how old she was actually going to be, but I got the impression she actually was celebrating her birthday. Yeah, yeah, I believe that part, but yeah. there's no way she was 29. <laughs> Let's be real, guys. No offense. <laughs> Well, I mean, they do bring up a point to say, like, I think they I think they were trying to make a point of like Melody Griffith's character, Tess, is she mentions how like she's the same age as Catherine or about the same age. And I think that's just meant to, like, cement you even further in Tess's camp to be like, oh, man, she's got, you know, she's got all the odds stacked against her here. Like she's starting from like ground zero and she's trying to. Have, she's trying to get into a position like Catherine, but she's the same age, and so how easy is that going to be for her to do? Probably not very easy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, Scorny Weaver then, uh, after having some, a few scenes with Melanie Griffith, the big, like, plot point of the movie is introduced where, um, Tess floats this idea of basically this company buying a radio station um, for whatever reason, like <laughs> that, like radio is hot right now or something. I don't know. And In, yeah, they they go on to explain like all the intricacies of like FCC violations and weirdness and like why they would want to like acquire a a radio station instead of a TV station. And at the, the whole time, I'm just like, I have, I have no idea what kind of movie I'm in for right now. Like I, I, we haven't gotten to the romantic part of the romantic comedy. 
if it is that because I had I didn't really look up much about this movie before watching it. I just kind of went in blind. So I'm like, is she going to have a love interest here at all? Is this going to be like an Aaron Brockovich type situation where like <laughs> she's working up, she's like fighting the good fight, or is mm-hmm. it like a a business drama where she's like trying to work her way up the ladder? It, I at this I, point, I had no idea. It could equally go in either of those directions. And turns out it goes in all of those directions. <laughs> uh, yeah, I honestly thought this was going to be like a love triangle situation. Like, it, it kind of is at the end, but I went into this movie thinking it was like, oh, Harrison Ford is in the middle of these two hotties, and what is he going to do? Who knows? But, like, when Sigourney Weaver, like, broke her leg and was like bedridden for the entire movie i was like i was like this is a shocker like yeah and broke it in like a like the most cartoon ass way possible oh yeah because they, sh- they, they literally just like cut to her going down a mountain and flying off a ramp and screaming off camera like god that was so bizarre i literally thought that was just a very comedic death in all honesty i thought she was dead <laughs> <laughs> that would have been I, did, I did not see that. <laughs> God, that would have been better though. <laughs> but that's God. There are some scenes with her in the hospital, and like, there's like a doctor like touching her leg. But yeah, like, what inappropriate. the fuck was that? Yeah. God, that was so weird. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and like at, towards the end, she's like having a party, and like the doctor is like obviously drinking heavily like everyone in the room is obviously like having alcohol so and she like makes some crack about his bones and i'm like (laughs) has she been having an orgy with like all the hospital staff oh you know she has (laughs) wild yeah the one line in the hospital that made me just think that exact thing was like the guy like hooking her leg up or whatever she was like hey quit looking up my gown you creep or whatever like that it's like (laughs) my god yeah there are like the tone of these sequences with her felt like the quintessential 80s comedy like weekend at bernie's or some shit like that like Mm -hmm. just this weird kind of slapstick nonsense and like just the the characterizations are like pumped up to 11 like her character is the most cartoonish of anyone else in this movie it's like she's in a different movie almost completely <laughs> oh yeah definitely and I, not saying i didn't like it i think that i liked her performance and she was really like you know cruella devilling it up but mm-hmm. it just it didn't mesh with everything else that was going on <laughs> no she has Especially, great comedy, a lot of great comedy. Oh, it's yeah. almost a shame that she's not in this movie as like as little as she is. Yeah, and you put her across from the like mousy, soft-spoken Melanie Griffith, and it's just like I'm having trouble like making out what she's saying. And <laughs> yeah. then after after reading the the trivia, I was like, well, okay, maybe maybe that makes a little more sense now. But Jesus. Uh, my, I think maybe my favorite joke uh, involving Sigourney Weaver was when she she finally gets home, and she is like immediately calling her boyfriend, and she's like, 
supposed to be all pent up, like with like sexual energy that she's just like she needs to release it, even though she was. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I think <laughs> okay. so. Like she was like, like telling Jack to get over here and she was like get over to her apartment mm. and she was like in lingerie or something. And she oh, was okay. like very yeah, seductively laying on the bed. And, but she was like purposely hiding her cast, and then oh yeah 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 right, and she makes a very she makes a very big point to like hide her cast like under blankets, and then Harrison Ford comes over and the first thing he does is remove the blankets <laughs> to look at the cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, uh, I was confused because that's like way late in the movie, but yes, yeah, I do remember that now. Mm. <clears throat> uh, so. After she has gone into this accident and she is forced to stay in this hospital, um, this is when uh, Tess finds she finds an email because uh, before um, before Catherine leaves on her trip, she says that this like buying a radio uh, a radio station like that idea is basically not going to work. And then she finds an email saying, like, kind of saying, it it alludes to that um, Catherine has floated that idea to someone, uh, to Jack Trainer, and taken the idea as her own. Mm -hmm. So, what anyone would do in the 80s would obviously be to just pretend that you're in your boss's position. Oh, yeah. And then act out an entire merger uh, <laughs> pretending that you're an executive at a company when you're really a secretary, right? I, I did not follow the logic of that decision <laughs> one bit. I like what does she think the end game is there that like exactly. she she succeeds and then they give her a promotion after she just like lied and like impersonated a her boss like I don't no one no company in their right mind would ever recognize that they would be like well okay now take back over your job now that you're better and let's get this crazy person out of here see this is what this movie is actually about uh, and it's actually disturbing when you think about it. To quote the Joker, <laughs> I'm like a dog <laughs> chasing a car. I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going. Yeah. <laughs> very, very uh, appropriate yeah. quote, yes. And yeah, that's what she's doing. She's just like, she's just like playing a game and she has no idea what's going to happen. She has no idea when that merger is going to finalize and she's going to have to sign a bunch of papers <laughs> <laughs> surrounded by lawyers uh, ostensibly a bunch of people who know the true identity <laughs> of the her boss like yeah yeah man what a bonkers premise for yeah. a, what is like again a movie like dripping with legalese and like drama like actual attempts at drama and it just the most cartoon ass plot mm-hmm. development yeah does anyone in a major corporation like not 
know the hierarchy of employees. Not like not in the eighties. I mean, yeah. you gotta at least know the management, right? I don't know. Their doors are yeah. always closed. You know, like they're big office <laughs> big wigs. You know, doing important stuff, yeah. wheeling and dealing. I mean, you know, making calls. I haven't thought about the doors being closed. Yeah, there you but go. You have a point there. <laughs> I mean, I know this is like this is before the time of Microsoft Teams where you can't just like <laughs> type in someone's name <laughs> and all their information just pops up. But right. come on. I mean, to, yeah. to think like <laughs> Tess, Tess was the assistant and she would schedule everything for Sigourney Weaver. So like mm. there it is. Now she's in full control. 100% control. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, she impersonated her own, uh, herself, like, as the secretary and then transferring it to her impersonating her boss. <laughs> it was so fucking weird. That like, was great. Multiple times she did that. And, uh, what a- I loved how when Joan Cusack was in there and she played the secretary, <laughs> and it was just like, your friend is just randomly here at your office building (laughs) (laughs) in front of all your coworkers. Yeah. There were, this movie felt like some like studio execs found two scripts. They really liked, and then literally tasked someone with slamming them together. Yeah, (laughs) I can't understand. Well, that, and that the fact that they, it seems like they then filmed the entirety of two scripts that were slammed together and then cut a ton of shit because half of the ending makes no goddamn sense because mm-hmm. we, so obviously this is skipping ahead, but like talking about the people who work in her office, we, at the, towards the end of the movie when she's like <laughs> near succeeding or, or I think she has her major setback where she kind of gets revealed suddenly there are all these like secretary characters that are like around her and like trying to console her. And we're like, did they know what was going on? What is happening here? Who are these characters? I like, I and they all have names you. too, right? Yeah. Like she, she references, like she refers to them as their first names. Yeah. And it's like, I, these are not characters in this movie. These are all new characters. Guaranteed. They cut like three scenes where all those characters are like, talking about how she's doing this and they're like all backing her. It, there's no other reason that scene makes any sense towards the end. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so another, so the first faux pas that she does in this uh, is she sets up a meeting with Jack trainer, um, our hero, Jack trainer and uh, sets up a meeting to like, a preliminary meeting to discuss this acquiring, right? And mm-hmm. this is what she does next. Uh, she goes to what I believe is a work function, correct? But it's a like, it takes place at a bar. It's a very like um, high end, like cocktail lounge. Yeah. And I wasn't quite sure what this was but it almost sounded like it was a work function correct yeah it was some kind of party that her boss had been invited to and she was just like taking her boss's place Mm -hmm. but yeah it it was like a business mixer or something yeah Mm -hmm. and even then and so how did she not get like found out right then and there (laughs) that's what i would oh 100 (laughs) percent 
Yeah, well, uh, she did. She did like reply or call or something to RSVP, and I think she RSVP'd as herself coming in place of her oh, boss. Oh, maybe. Yeah, you're so right. So I don't think she. I don't think anyone would have like told her she couldn't be there. But it was still a very strange. Like, I mean, I guess. I guess if you're like trying to get into the business and get a, a leg up on someone else, but you're also doing this while planning to take your boss's job like it just it was very odd mm. was this just how the 80s were <laughs> <I'm pretty laughs> sure. everyone just laughs yeah. that's how business worked back then man <laughs> i guess so she goes to this uh she goes to this work function this mixer uh purposely going to find jack trainer and kind of just like talk him up right just kind of mm-hmm. like warm up to him before this uh before the meeting the next day. And uh in my opinion, this is a huge red flag. This is not something you do. <laughs> yeah. Um so she goes to the bar. Obviously they had never met before. Um there's a very weird convo between Jack Trainer and his colleagues. Um, I think like all of the colleagues uh, lines were 80 yard because it very yeah. seemed like it very seemed like someone was like, yo, we got to tell the audience that this dude is Jack Trainer because like <laughs> yeah. no one's going to know. Yeah, I, that's the kind of stuff that always is fascinating. I, like I bet they they were going back through and editing and they were like, wait, we never told the audience that this is the guy she was looking for. (laughs) They were probably just like, ah, shit, we can't re-film any of this. And then guess Mm. we just ADR it. (laughs) But it seems to undercut the twist of when she finally walks in, because she never learns his name Mm -hmm. until she walks into the meeting the next day. And I felt like that that was supposed to be kind of like the reveal of his character. Mm, Um, But... It wasn't. It was revealed as like just some some person off screen is like, mm-hmm. yo, Jack Trainer, you got to do this. <laughs> so he goes, uh, he goes up to her and basically starts hitting on her because he has no idea who she is. And there's a lot of very smooth Harrison Ford lines that are like super creepy but also, <laughs> yeah. like, he delivers them in a way that you're like, all right, this is sexy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a perfect, uh, perfect depiction of the the rule for finding a uh, partner. It's be good looking is number one. And number two is be good looking. <laughs> you can do anything. Yeah, that's my problem. I have the first one. I have the first rule down, but I did not know yeah. the second rule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah that's he also gets the great line it, it, it's like such a weird thing where he was like I've been waiting for you my entire life and I said that when I finally meet you we'd have a shot of tequila and she, she was like she was like fine I'll have one drink but I'm buying and he's like well it's an open bar <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that uh that really sets up like a weird uh, relationship from the start because it's not like 
it's not like the through their business dealings she like wins him over and shows him that like oh there can be good people in this business and you should dump your like cold-hearted bitch of a girlfriend like it's he's just a fucking philandering asshole kind of from the start who's like Mm -hmm. out to cheat on his girlfriend yeah pretty much oh yeah yeah that's true yeah he wants to bone down the second oh yeah he meets Tess. Right. Because we, we don't know this yet. So it's not really evident that that it doesn't come across that way until later when we get to the real twist. But if you go back and retroactively watch that scene, you're just like, wait, he's like in an active, committed relationship. And he's just like straight up finds a girl he thinks is attractive and like wants to get her in bed. Like immediately. <laughs> Hey, <laughs> and he, he does, does it. He succeeds. First night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. In a fu- like, what a disturbing scene, too. Like, he t- she gets super drunk. He tries to get her home, but she is too drunk to, like, say his or her to say her address. Well, she's also like high on Valium or something, isn't she? Yeah. That her yeah. Oh, yeah. sister gave her or whatever. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> so so he takes her back to uh, his apartment. Um, she crashes immediately, and then smash cut to them both in his bed, and she is like in her underwear. Yeah, <laughs> and she just kind of crawls out, puts her dress on, and takes off. And it's like all right, well, they. Uh, took so long to resolve that it was so uncomfortable yeah. there was oh, yeah. a scene there so the second Harrison Ford like gets her in her front or in his front door or whoever's place this is like sits her in a chair and she's just like passed out and Harrison Ford is just looking at her and I'm just like ah oh, shit like this is the weird <laughs> like, this, is, this is not looking good for Harrison Ford right now <laughs> oh my god it was like they lingered on him like he even like asks her if she wants a nightcap yeah. and I'm like fucking hell we are, we are watching his internal like gears turning uh, will am I gonna date her? maybe like he's just like actively trying to decide if he's gonna fuck rape her like oh so fucking gross dude this is the third movie in a row that we've talked about where there's been it is just a fucking awkward exchange between him and a woman so i guess that answers your question neil yeah this is this this is what the 80s 80s, man oh god (laughs) oh my god I, Dear you know, God. And, and let me just touch on the 80s again real quick here. So this was <laughs> touch, touch the I'm 80s touch for us. The yeah. 80s. So I, I kind of had So here's my thoughts on it. It's like when this was filmed, like in 1988, you're like, it's so 80s because it's from the 80s. But it's like it's almost disgusting. And like I look back at like things like Stranger Things, which takes place in the 80s, but it's filmed now and I'm like I like mm-hmm. that way better than the actual 80s like for some <laughs> oh yeah well because like Stranger Things isn't based on the 80s it's based on 80s movies which are like the Ghostbusters right. yeah but, like right? that 
the the just the aesthetic and just like the little like nostalgia is better than it just being the 80s because then like everyone <laughs> because there's just everyone's literally doing actual drugs probably and it's just like you know that it's just a weird disgusting set to probably be on and it's oh. i i don't know but this movie's two eighties. Mm. It's two eighties. There's the, the uh, when they're in the stock. <laughs> yeah, eighties. Yeah, nineteen eighty eight. There's two eights oh, in there. Shit. Uh, oh shit! But like just the scene when the it's like one of the first ones when she's in that like stock trade office and just it's old ass computers like DOS computers and people on the <laughs> telephone and you're like this this is just wrong. This is wrong. I know. Fuck it's too this. much. It's too much. And then you get that scene with Kevin oh, Spacey shit. where he's like coked out and like hitting on her. Yeah. And it's like, oh, nothing has changed. We're still in the 80s. <laughs> oh, for sure. Neil, this is the horror oh, of it. We're still in the 80s. Don't you fucking say things like that. <laughs> <laughs> this also, there is some like weird obsession with the Staten, the Staten Island Ferry in this movie. Oh like, god, that, I almost forgot about that. There's like like the there's a huge like helicopter shot that opens this movie that just like is flying over the ocean like behind the ferry and it's mm-hmm. like it it's it like, lets you know it's in New York, that's for sure. It's like I guess. all the New York staples <laughs> in this B-roll yeah. opening. <laughs> <laughs> and then it shows the skyline which is iconic and yeah. I don't know. Is the the ferry is like a huge attraction? I guess right. I've never been on it, but I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, all I could think about was when it got split in half in that Spider Man movie. Um. All right. What else is there to say about this movie? <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Then they they finally have the meeting. They it is revealed that they both know each other. Uh, she, Tess knows that that's Jack Trainer, who she had a very weird night with, and he thinks that, or he knows her, even though she, he thinks that she is a high level executive at this. Uh, this company. Um, so did like, did she, there's so many questions I have. (laughs) How, how did he, how did he get through this process of like going to meet her and like it, he's never been to like his girlfriend's office. He doesn't know that like she doesn't have her own name on the door. Like I I'm, it's so weird to me that he would be like going there and then like not acknowledging or ever saying anything about the fact that like, Oh, this is the same floor that my girlfriend works on. It's just, (laughs) I I have no idea. This is the same office. (laughs) I think I've been here before. (laughs) Um, it's weird because like they said that, uh, they said that they had been dating for a while, right? Yeah. Because she thought that he was going to propose to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, I don't know. It, that that's the weird thing. There's so much. There's so little talked about with that relationship 
up basically to keep it hidden from the audience. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is like, I feel like there are so many things like this. Like what was the, what was the movie you watched for Julianne Moore where there was a similar uh, twist at the end where it's just like, well, the, huh? that was the the parents of Ryan Gosling or of um, what's her face oh right oh, god what um, was the name of that movie anyways sh- uh, she's just not that into you uh, okay yeah so like <laughs> <laughs> that is incorrect I, no I know I'm moving on <laughs> anyways like the, the idea that like when a twist happens where you're just like, what the fuck? Instead of like, oh, it just, I'm always so pissed off because there's no, like, you go back and think about it for five seconds. You're like, none of the characters would have behaved this way if they actually knew that, you know, like the, if they, if they were actually, if Jack Tran- Trainer was actually Catherine's boyfriend like none of this would be happening the way it actually happened and all that is only done just to make it so that the audience cannot possibly figure it out mm-hmm. uh, crazy stupid love by the mm-hmm. way that was okay. yeah yeah they, uh-huh. they had a similar scene at the end reveal where it's just like whoa what why <laughs> you know um so did you guys see that twist coming that they were connected no i um, didn't Kind of, but I just uh, I just figured it kind of had to be that. Like, I didn't think it was mm-hmm. going to get any more deep or uh, shocking than that, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I yeah, that's what I thought, too. I was like, it has to be that. Right. Because when there's a moment when, like, Sigourney Weaver is just gone for like 20 minutes, mm-hmm. it's just like, oh, OK. So she's going to be out of the rest of the movie. So obviously she's going to come back at the end and that's going to be the reveal that her secret boyfriend is Harrison Ford. Like that was just one of the things that I thought about that. I was like, you know, you kind of see the movie unfold as you're watching it. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, okay. She's out of the picture because she knows she knows things that the main characters do not know. Right. So that's why she has to be in a hospital, you know, in northern New York, having an orgy with like 20 <laughs> doctors. Allegedly. <clears throat> Come on now. <laughs> God, she says, I'm going to find the quote. She says, this doctor has good bones. And it's like, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean other than... Good bones. <laughs> Maybe he is so far removed from osteoporosis that his bones are good. I don't. <laughs> mm, a lot of calcium. A lot of calcium. So then the like entire second act of this movie is literally just that business drama. It's about um, Harrison Ford and Melanie Griffith joining forces to like get this acquisition like finalized and like that's it like there's almost not a lot of like there's flirting between them but there's not a lot of like romance really there is the b plot of her of uh tess's boyfriend cheating on her and that like really really like 
throwing her into this scenario then like she kind of doubles down on the the con Mm -hmm. and like i think all of that there's just so many little threads here so many characters moving around and so little time spent on them it's just i was i i didn't know what to really make of this second act i I was actually to be honest i was more interested in that business drama aspect (laughs) but everything else around it felt so superficial and like just 80s weird like right now Uh, if you were to ask me if harrison ford and melanie griffith were together at the end of this movie I don't know if I can tell you. I watched it a week ago and I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, man, I can't. I'm trying to picture the the end of this movie, too, and I can't either. Uh, I remember the elevator scene. And then and it cuts to the, the ferry again, I think. <laughs> Probably. And Joan Cusack is just sitting on the yeah. ferry, just like joning it up. Um, my favorite. I thought Alec Baldwin was pretty good in this movie. Um, but my favorite part is he. So. Uh, after they split. So like he she comes home early and sees him just like going hog wild on this chick <laughs> random chick never been seen before some great 80s boobs yeah. though 80s boobs <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, several times in this movie so that character shows up in every scene that alec baldwin is in for the rest of the movie did you guys catch that <laughs> yes yeah so in the next in the uh is it an engagement party for joan cusack yeah. at the bar uh, she goes to a bar and he's there and they kind of had this awkward uh, scene and then they dance and then he like does this like cringeworthy proposal like kind of out of nowhere mm-hmm. and then when she leaves the girl like comes up to Alec Baldwin and puts her arm around like his shoulder like as if they're dating <laughs> and she did not see anything else in this scene uh, uh d- i you might be combining that with the wedding uh no it end. happens again it happens again at the wedding when they walk out of the wedding she shows up and she is his date to the wedding okay i thought that I, at the end of the engagement party he like he they're like walking out talking about how she embarrassed him and he's like you got to get your priorities straight and they have like a little tiff and she and he storms off but he mm-hmm. the during somewhere in between there the girl comes I'm, up to him yes i'm almost positive that she's in the scene in the bar what the we, fuck we'll go all right <laughs> i had a lot of questions after watching this movie one of them was was that the same chick in all those and then the other one was, was that David Duchovny in that closet? <laughs> <laughs> and I rewatched the movie. Not I rewatched parts of the movie to uh, uh, to find answers to those questions. And I am 100 percent sure it is the same actress, presumably yeah. the same character. I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Same actress, different characters. <laughs> um, uh, side note, 
Uh, I just watched The Laundromat, which is the new movie from Steven Soderbergh. Oh, yeah. Uh, about the Pentagon Papers. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you want to, or not the Pentagon Papers, the Panama Papers. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to hear a huge spoiler for that movie? Yeah, I yep. don't think I'm going to watch it. Yeah, it, it's all right. It's on Netflix if you have Netflix. And it's only 90 minutes, so, I, I mean, I would recommend it. Okay. But it's not going to blow your mind. But, um... Oh shit! Uh, who is it? Who's David uh, Mer- No, Meryl Streep. Mer- Meryl Streep is like basically the lead of that movie, and she plays two characters in it. Okay, uh, she plays like her character, and then there is this side character, um, who is a like receptionist at this place that like was basically at the center of the Panama Papers. And the movie, um, the movie very like uh, basically says that she was the person who leaked all the documents. Mm. And at the very end of the movie, uh, there's this very awkward like, uh, like PSA kind of thing where like the actors are talking to the screen. They're like talking to the audience, and they're basically just like. We need some fucking campaign finance reform, people. Like, you got to fucking pick up your shit and act, right? <laughs> it's like that kind of stuff. And uh, it's like all – it's like a bunch of the actors are doing this. And then this receptionist comes out and starts doing it too. And then she takes her wig off. And then she peels her mask off like Mission Impossible style. And it's Meryl Streep what? as her old – as her other character. And then she – changes the voice to the other character and keeps talking and then she r- takes off her wig again and then she just starts talking as Meryl Streep and it's like oh shit what the f- <laughs> this sounds like a fever dream you had Ben are you sure you watched the movie uh let me uh let's see your left arm is supposed to be tingling like always right <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh god! That sounds barkers. What the? F- now I kind of want to watch it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna retract my original statement. Everyone should a hundred percent watch this movie. <laughs> so you, while watching the movie, you couldn't tell that it was her. Um, I could tell, like, but did you know? Because it time? looks so weird. It looks like she has. Uh, I did not know ahead of time. Um, okay. I think it's supposed to be secret, but it's like it. It's one of those, you know, when you see people like with like obviously they have uh, like makeup on their or face, two wigs on, like mm-hmm. prosthetics. Yeah, or wigs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two wigs on. <laughs> you can kind of tell. It's like okay, that's not a real person, you know. And it's kind of like Gary Oldman in like most movies. <laughs> it's like okay. <laughs> That's I mean, Gary <laughs> Oldman, but it's that's not actually Gary Oldman, right? Uh, it was right. one of those things oh, wow. where it's just like, this person is off. And it's like, is that a real person? Or is that like someone with like heavy makeup on? <laughs> and then like you could kind of tell, you know, Meryl Streep kind of has those like, she kind of acts in a certain way. You know, she has her like. Yeah, she's very distinctive. You know? Yeah. So you can kind of tell, but. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was anyways <laughs> uh it was wild watch that movie it's on netflix okay 
Um, okay. God, what's... All right. Are we done with this movie? Yeah, I mean, dude, We so let's just get to the crazy Scooby-Doo reveal ending because it's... There yeah. is a pretty great wedding scene where they go and crash a wedding and it's like Hawaiian themed and it's like really awkward. But then there's this pretty great... Um, uh, dance like there's a conversation like Tess and this guy are having a conversation while they're dancing and it's pretty great and then Harrison Ford has that incredible like move that is like straight out of a Looney Tunes cartoon where he drinks where that he, entire alcoholic drink in one take oh that's good too that's good too yeah um <laughs> That drink that was like more umbrellas than it was alcohol. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm talking to when he's he's dancing with one of the bridesmaids and he does that twirl uh, that like oh you do to a girl. And he, he twirls her and lets her go. And then the camera follows her as she just keeps twirling. Spins like a top. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my like, God. It, it almost like. I bet there was a scene filmed where she just like, like spun out of the front door and like down a flight of stairs, <laughs> and then like showed her like spinning out onto the street. Oh my god! God, I bet there is. Oh, yeah, that that whole scene with the the wedding was so strange. Where like the the bride is like crying because people are making fun of the theme. Like, yeah. what was that no even shit, in there for? Lady. Like, why why is this? Oh god, yeah. And I, it, well, it's it also the other joke that that scene because uh, Harrison Ford is in the uh, toilet stall the entire time, like taking a piss, and then he like comes out and joins the conversation. <laughs> yeah. There's some incredible Harrison Ford comedy in this movie. He's like, mm-hmm. he's a funny guy. He is. Yeah. No, I'll give him that. Yep. <laughs> so let's get to the denouement, this big, uh, this big twist ending. Um, where, where do you want to start? Like the, the well, so the, the big reveal is when Sigourney Weaver's character, like she she did that whole weird thing with Jack, like after she got back trying to get him over to have sex at their at her place, and like they do some like crazy cartoon uh, like musical chairs to avoid seeing each other in her apartment. And mm, Tess and Jack, because uh, Tess right. is over there as well, doing yeah. her secretary thing. And then like she. She just fi- she gets um, Tess's notebook or planner or something oh and like sees the calendar on there and like how she was with Jack and then it's like a light bulb goes on in Sigourney Weaver's head and she like rushes down to that meeting they're about to have where they're like closing <laughs> the deal basically and mm-hmm. it's just like it was so so over the top so bizarre like. Sigourney Weaver is like going is full on Cruella DeVille at this point and I'm kind of loving it but I'm also just so tired by this point <laughs> you know I don't I don't know it's like the movie really didn't know what the the conclusion was going to going to be they just really wanted that sequence where she busts into a giant boardroom with like throwing both doors open like 
I don't know. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. This is also at the three hour mark of a two hour movie. <laughs> like this, this movie yes. has just like trudged on. Um, yeah. And you could re- you can really feel it. And it, I, it's just like if Sigourney Weaver is supposed to be the villain of the movie, like I think excising her from almost all of it was a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and also, like, this is the time, like, that she finally, that Tess finally slips up and, like, outs herself as, like, basically a con artist. And it's so weird that, like, it, it, there's never any tension of, like, oh, my God, is she going to get caught? Right. Like, <laughs> is she going to get caught of, like, uh, like basically like gaslighting this entire company into doing something that seems to be a good move. Like it goes, it goes through at the end, like she's successful, but she like completely lied. Like she presented this under false pretenses. Yeah. And that's like, it's super weird. (laughs) It's just, it's just really weird. I do like that she does end up just like pretty much getting Sigourney Weaver Weaver's job, though. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, Sigourney Weaver, you're fired, and we're taking this person for being doing things illegal and just impersonating <laughs> people. I think does she I, get I that she, job? No, I thought she like, was just ended as like a secretary like a, to yeah. someone else. No, it's not no. like a secretary. She, it's like oh. a. It's some kind of office employee of sort. I guess it, she had yeah. her own office, didn't she? At the yeah. end, yeah, yeah. That was the whole like the. I actually thought that that was one of the most interesting scenes in the whole film. When after every, all the dust settles and like they, uh, she comes away basically thinking that she's got 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 reset back to ground zero, right? Like she thinks she's being given a favor by getting to be a secretary for someone else again because she thought she was probably going to be done in that business but and then you come to realize that no the person she thought was the person she's supposed to work for is actually her secretary and that she actually has like a pretty decent job all things Mm -hmm. considered like I thought that whole sequence was pretty sincere and like felt like it would have been a very fitting reward for a character that did not exist in this movie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, what an eighties, like, um, what an eighties, like ending too. to be yeah. like, Oh, you conned this entire corporation. So I guess you get a promotion. <laughs> they do that classic thing. I love where like, when when a movie is trying to resolve something in a space where there are a lot of characters all the other characters just let the main characters talk even though it really makes no sense for this to be handled right here and now like the <laughs> when when she like uh what is it she does at the end where she like oh she realizes that the plan is actually bad because something happened in the news and it's going to blow oh, yeah. up Some the whole DJ. deal. Yeah. yeah. A DJ is like possibly uh, 
he's being wooed by another company and possibly leaving. Right. And and then <laughs> she's like telling this to the the radio station who would know that this is happening because it's their employee. <laughs> right. And it's like, they're like, Whoa, I never thought of that. Who, who's this guy again? <laughs> yeah. I just, I love that when like everyone just stands around waiting for the personal, like personal matters to get resolved between characters when there's like way more important things that should be happening. <laughs> like they, it's that Scooby-Doo thing, right? Like we're, oh, our our low-level players in this game are gonna like set everything out on the line right here and now. We're all gonna watch and not only watch but clap when they're uh-huh. done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The moral of this story is basically be a con artist and read the goddamn newspaper. <laughs> oh my god. Obviously, the only person who reads the newspaper. It's no, it's worse than that. That was the other thing I hated about this movie. That her character's business smarts are entirely derived from how down to earth and womanly she is by like reading uh, gossip mags and shit like that. Like her mm-hmm. business insight comes from like the most asinine places, and it's supposed to make us think like, oh, she knows better than all these bigwigs because she's more plugged in on pop culture and bullshit like that. Like, mm-hmm. it it just like completely undermines the the character development of her like going to she's like going to school and taking all these classes to be good at the in this you know area and she all she's able to really demonstrate is that she reads a bunch and can like put two and two together for some uh, obscure thing that probably isn't even actually a thing like mm. every tip she makes and everything like that it's just like you're just like pulling shit out of your ass like you have no idea if that's actually a thing or not and then Mm -hmm. somehow it all just kind of plays out in her favor well the way she described how like she found out what that dj is doing is very much like um that south park when uh south park does that whole uh um (laughs) oh shit who's the actor from um Jurassic Park who's in Thor Jeff and like Goldblum? he's a meme now. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum when it's like I don't know if it's Jeff Goldblum in South Park but that character this character in South Park is obviously a joke where he's like he's like Snickers and he does ward associations <laughs> yes. and like figures out the entire thing. He's like Snickers, yeah. chocolate bar, peanuts, and you know, yeah. and then he figures out like that there's aliens in uh, the orbit of moon. Yeah, uh, it was very much like that. Yep, and, and just um, I I hate that when like a movie's trying to uh, trying to demonstrate that a character is smart and really all it's doing is like making them like be very lucky rather than smart you know Mm. like it just that's how it felt to me like she she never at any point in this movie really demonstrates like a a true knowledge that would make her a viable candidate for the type of position she wants like yeah she she does know she does talk a little bit about fcc rules and stuff but like that's about it, and that was pretty early in the movie. So it just it, it felt very, I don't know. Un, it was un, undercutting her uh, character arc of trying to be successful. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and then it's, I thought her character was supposed to be that she was, she held all these jobs where she was the person outside of the room looking in Mm -hmm. and she being an outsider, she could see how it actually worked. And so when she finally got a seat at that table, she was almost smarter than uh, everyone else because she had a different perspective and she mm-hmm. was thinking differently than what everyone else was. But then like that whole thing where she was like, well, she's like reads the newspaper and like connects like stuff. And she yeah, like, that was oh, real- this yeah. DJ is in New York for a party. And then there's also this thing about a radio station that is like buying up stuff. And it's like, she's like, Oh, He's obviously having meetings to like, you know, sign a contract with them. It's like, okay, okay, back up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, super weird. It's a weird movie. It's very like, it's very 80s. Like, this is just how 80s movies were, where it was just kind of like, like stuff happened. And like, I don't know if just like the writing wasn't sophisticated or they just like didn't give a shit. Like it was like, Oh, two attractive people are flirting with each other. So that's like all you need. Mm-hmm. And then whatever, but it ends this. So this movie got, um, Oh shit. It looks like three or oh, sorry. Uh, six nominations for the Academy Awards. Um, best picture, Best, best actress for Melanie Griffith, best actress for Joan Cusack, which is weird. <laughs> best actress what? for Sigourney Weaver, and best director for Mike Nichols. It Wait, only three won, characters from the same movie were, or three actresses were nominated for best uh, actress. Sorry, leading role. Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith got leading role, and then Joan Cusack and Sigourney Weaver wore supporting role. Okay, so two, two different awards. Uh, it only won one award, and that was for Best Music, Original Song, Carly Simon, for the song <laughs> Let the River Run, which is what the, I think the song opens and closes with this song. Uh, the song rocks. Uh, it was It's fucking awesome. I love this song. Uh, as the kids would say, this song fucks. Um, <laughs> Uh, the the other nominees for this year for original song um, Jesus Christ I'm not even going to read them because I don't even know what these movies or songs or musicians are <laughs> so I apologize <laughs> um, but Carly Simon of course is, she's probably best known for the song You're So Vain Mm-hmm. Um, which was a huge hit. She also did Nobody Nobody Does It Better, which was the theme song for uh, The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, the James Bond movie. Uh, bet you couldn't think, bet you didn't think I'd throw in James Bond in this episode. <laughs> but don't question me, I did it. That is like one of the best James Bond theme songs ever written. It's awesome. Radiohead also does an incredible incredible cover of it Jesus, <laughs> going deep knowledge uh carly, carly simon is awesome she does a bunch i think she does all the music in this movie um and it is an awesome soundtrack this movie is awesome because of the music 
podcast. So <laughs> join us next week when we launch our Carly Simon podcast. <laughs> oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that joke out so I can I can actually make a Carly <laughs> Simon podcast. <laughs> um all right, let's get into final thoughts. I basically already said mine, but <laughs> um, for every movie, we give Harrison Ford a rating of one to five Harrisons. Uh, so, Neil, why don't you start us off with your final thoughts? Yeah, certainly. Uh, so, yeah, as we've kind of said throughout this um, whole review, it's it's a very, very 80s movie. Um, it's got a really good cast um, I would say the weakest cast member is the main character, though. So, I mean, like, she, I guess, is a good, like, the one straight person where everyone else is just, like, something ridiculous outside of her control, essentially. But uh, Harrison Ford is exactly how you'd expect Harrison Ford in this. <laughs> like, he's good in it. Um, you, Sigourney Weaver's good. Yeah, just uh, Melanie Griffith kind of let it down. In all honesty, she did fine, but what it's whatever it is. Um, it's <laughs> there's a lot that just doesn't make any sense, like all that business stuff. It's kind of just I don't know, it's like it's nothing was developed oh, like fully in this, really. So, like, but there is some good stuff in it, though, man. <laughs> I'm gonna give it. <laughs> it is also boring. <laughs> I think I'm going to go with one and a half Harrisons. <laughs> oh, shit. Watch who watch yeah. who framed Roger Rabbit instead. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Or Die Hard. Uh, so, yeah, this movie is... It's a real mixed bag. Like, I... I think I wanted this to be like a Aaron Brockovich type drama. I, in, in instead, I got a cartoon romantic comedy with a bunch of really terrible business speak in it. And so, and, and I think you also said it really well, Neil. Like Melody Griffith is, she's a she's doing a dramatic performance which would work in a drama, but instead she comes off as a wet blanket <laughs> compared to all these other cartoon characters. Yeah. Like it, it's just, uh, there are times where I just wanted to shout at my TV, like talk up, speak, speak louder. I can't hear <laughs> I you. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> She's just like whisper soft and just doe eyed kind of drifting across the scene. And so I didn't, I didn't really appreciate the the weird contrast there where you on the one hand you have this like crazy uh, performance by people like Sigourney Weaver and I would even ca characterize Al Baldwin in here as like a pretty great like just straight up comedy performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then we're just it's all. Uh, threaded together with this weird business drama stuff and so yeah I, I, I don't think you can really um, I don't think you can really extract anything from it <laughs> without compromising the the performances of 
half of the cast. So, yeah, I don't know. This is... This is not a bad performance by Harrison Ford, but once again, we have another instance where he is just like rapey as fuck and creeping me out, and it's making me real bummed, guys. And I'm, I'm, ma- I'm like starting to worry that we shouldn't have done Harrison Ford. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I don't think it was a train wreck, despite everything I've said. Um, so I'll give it two Harrisons. Mm. Um, yeah, mixed bag is a very good way to describe this movie. Um, there are things I had, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. I, I think there's some good moments. There's some really funny moments. I think Harrison Ford is really funny, but you guys are right. Um, Melanie Griffith is just not like that character just wasn't good. And she just didn't really bring like like something she didn't bring the like star power that uh, Harrison Ford would bring or a Sigourney Weaver would bring um, or even a Joan Cusack honestly <laughs> yeah. uh, would bring to that role um, this is also I, I think we talk about this a lot I think we talked about this a lot with um, Keanu Reeves and Will Smith but this is a movie where Harrison Ford is Harrison Ford. Like you kind of get exactly what you expect, but because all the other parts of this movie are not working and are like super weird, uh, it just doesn't like Harrison Ford cannot elevate it. So he just kind of sinks down into like the mediocrity of this movie. Um, And it's a shame um, because I don't know, Jack Trainer. <laughs> what a good name. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'll. I'm gonna give this two, two out of five Harrisons as well. Um, yeah, it's just a weird movie. It's it's super dated, and the stuff that is probably like cute that was cute in the eighties is just super weird now and you just can't hide from it. Um, I, our next movie is not in the (laughs) eighties. It is in the nineties. So who knows? Maybe we will leave this weird, um, this weird zone of Harrison Ford, but, um, uh, we'll see. I'll probably eat those words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's get, let's make some recommendations guys. Um, for every episode, we'll leave you guys with some recommendations on what we think you should check out. So Neil, why don't you give us your recommendation? Absolutely. My recommendation is an Amazon prime series called undone. Um, it's like eight episodes. It's just got one season so far. Um, and it stars, um, Rosa Salazar, who you might know from Alita Battle Angels, probably her most popular thing right now. Um, and um, yeah, some other like Maze Runner. I think she's in that in Bird Box. Um, and it's also got like Bob Odenkirk in it. And it's a really 
really interesting, like, little series. Like, the episodes aren't very long, so you can get through the eight episodes. But it's all done in the style of Scanner Darkly, if you remember that movie. Um, it's kind of, like, filmed and then, like, looks like it's animated over top. So it's, like, always, like, this kind of oh, little, right. like, movements, like, going on. Like, it looks a lot. It's cleaner than Scanner Darkly, and it doesn't give you as much of a headache. And it's not about drugs. So, I mean, like, um, so, like, it. the first episode, you're kind of, like, why did they choose to go this direction? Because like, it doesn't really explore the possibilities of doing a show in this way. And you'll get into later episodes that it's awesome why they did it this way. So like, it kind of just follows the life of this, um, this pretty much this Rosa Salazar's character and her family who it mostly just comprises of her sister and her mother. And like, it kind of, uh, you know, I'm not going to spoil a lot because there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on in this. Um, but like Bob Odenkirk is involved and it gets into weird trippy, like almost dimensional type stuff. And like, that's as much as I'll say on the subject, but like, it's it's short and like you can get through it really quickly because it's very, very, very compelling. Once you get from like episode two on, you're like, holy cow, like this is like getting bonkers kind of a thing. And it does it really, really well. Uh, yeah, and just again, the animation style or the way they filmed it really lends itself to this type of show as well. So definitely check out Undone on Amazon. Cool. I have heard a lot of people buzzing about that show. So I'm, I'm glad you're liking oh, yeah. it too. Um, there's like sci-fi elements too, isn't yes. there? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, I won't, I won't spoil anything either. Cause I, I haven't watched it. So I don't quite remember what's, what I have heard about it, but, um, yeah, it looks cool. I should watch mm -hmm. it. Um, cause yeah, it seems like a lot of people are enjoying it. Uh, cool. Tyler, what about your recommendation? Yeah, so I've had a little bit of time this last week to jump into a new Netflix show called Living With Yourself. Um, this is a uh, it's a, just a half hour comedy uh, comedy drama starring Paul Rudd. And um, I hadn't heard like a ton of good things about it, but I'm just like. I could Paul Rudd is one of those actors that I could watch him read the phone book. Like yeah. I just love his personality and he just seems like a really cool dude. So I gave it a shot and, um, it's pretty great. I, it, it's a comedy, but it's not a like laugh out loud comedy. Really? I'd say it's more of like a introspective comedy where the, the situations the characters find them, themselves in are just like kind of absurdist comedy, which, uh, stems from the premise, which is that uh, Paul Rudd is like a down on his luck dude who finds himself very depressed and wanting to make a change in his life. And he gets recommended to go to this spa. And they say that this, the, a coworker like basically completely turned their life around after going to this spa. And that's all they really say. And they refer him there. And this kind of it spoils just the first episode, but it's in the trailer if you want to watch it. But um, basically, 
he finds out that this spa is not, it's not actually improving people's mental health. It's cloning them and creating a version of them that has like an altered mind state to make them more positive. And they kill the original and don't tell you. So the the version what? of you that walks out the door thinks that they are the person that walked into the spa. Um, Holy shit. Not realizing that the real them is buried in a forest. Oh, and wow. Fuck. <laughs> so it's like the prestige. Or moon. Yes. But there's no, uh, but there's no magic. <laughs> And, and, <laughs> nope, just science, uh, comedy science. Um, but the, where where the wrinkle is is that they didn't kill him correctly, and so oh, he wakes up and digs himself out of a shallow grave, and manages to get back to his uh, home where his he his other self is with his girl his uh, wife, and um, then. So are you telling me that Paul Rudd plays two characters? In yes. This movie. All right, I'm yeah. in. That sounds yep. awesome. Let him with yep. that. <laughs> and uh, it's actually very, pretty impressive. It, there are a lot of movies that try stuff like this. It ends up coming off like really stilted and difficult because it's really hard to make two of the same person interact with each other on screen, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, from what I've seen so far, I've only watched about four episodes it's really well done like it it genuinely sounds and feels like he's both characters interacting with each other and it's not like they recorded one and then the other and spliced them together um it's the the way that each episode is structured too is really cool because basically it, it shows the majority of each episode from the perspective of one of the clones or one of the guys and then the first like five minutes of the next episode shows like what happened from the other person's perspective in like fast forward. Um, so yeah, it's really cool. There's a lot of cool things going on. It's, it's not very believable. It's more of just like a, um, you know, moralistic tale or kind of a, 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 investigation into like okay what would you do if this happened to you right like how would you hide it from people or how would you go about your life and mm-hmm. what, what would you what would the the one that's more positive how would they feel about their existence like would they think that they you know if they found out that the original them was going to be killed like what does that do to them so it, it's <laughs> it's pretty fucked up and pretty funny and again like the main reason for watching it is just paul rudd right like he's wow. pretty great so yeah definitely check it out it's called living with yourself and it's a netflix original cool <laughs> that sounds awesome that's like one of the problems with netflix is that uh, i had no idea what that premise was and i yep. i didn't know um, I had heard about this show and it was just kind of like, like I like Paul Rudd, but not as much as you, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And so I just didn't, I just kind of just like, was like, whatever. But if I would have heard that premise, I would have probably had watched it already. <laughs> yeah, no, it, uh, it's good and short and sweet episodes. So it's, it's a mm-hmm. fun watch. Um, I would like to also recommend a TV show. Uh, this is evil. Um, it's on CBS. Uh, it stars um, Kajata Herbers from who she is in uh, the second season of Westworld. Uh, also, Mike Coulter of Luke Cage fame and uh, Asif Mamvi 
of uh, kind of uh, um, The Daily Show, and like he's in a bunch of comedies. I think he was in Spider Man too. Um, <laughs> but this is kind of it's kind of one of those like CBS shows. It's a case of the week. Um, is about this like group. These three people are basically like investigators that are hired by um, the Catholic Church to basically investigate demons um, and like demonic possessions and all that stuff. Um, And every single episode is about just a different case that they're going to um, investigate. Um, And but the cool thing about this show, I mean, the the three main characters are really incredible and the actors are like work really well together. Um, they have like a great chemistry, like uh, immediately off the bat. And so it's very fun to just watch those characters, like just work with each other. Um, the cool thing. So it's four episodes in, uh, I'm going to spoil the end of the fourth, fourth episode and this is a pretty big spoiler, so um, I apologize for anyone who's watching it or who wants to watch it. But if you have not watched this, I'm going to tell you because I feel like it explains what this show is doing and what makes this show so interesting and kind of more of like a case of the week kind of show. So the fourth episode, which is entitled like Rose 390 Uh, they are oh I should also say it's kind of this show is kind of an X-Files style show where it's like they're they are investigating like paranormal things like possessions and like demonic stuff but at the end of the show they kind of like explain they give like like they explain it so it's not like oh your husband wasn't you know possessed by a demon you know he's just a shitty person who's <laughs> trying to kill you right so uh-huh. it's kind of like that they so every at the end of ep- episode you know there's like there's an episode where like uh, this person's like virtual assistant was hacked and like it, you know it's stuff like that some of it's dumb some of it's like kind of cool but so the fourth episode, they are talking to a couple who has three children, and one is a newborn, um, like infant, like probably like three or four months old, like very young. And their oldest is like 10 or 11. And their oldest, since this infant was born, the their oldest is basically been like acting out and like he like has been very just like very doing like very like weird stuff and they think he's possessed um and so they're trying to help him and towards the end like they're they basically tell him that like a priest tells him that like oh you should pray to god and like, if you need something, ask God. And if you have faith, God will give it to you. So they go over to his house and this child has thrown the infant son into the pool. 
and basically attempted to drown this child, right? Um, super shocking for a CBS show to do. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then they one-up themselves by... Uh, they go over to the house again to basically do another follow-up. And there's police, police officers outside. And they go and they knock on the door and the mother opens the door and there's police officers inside. And she's like, oh, he, this kid went missing. Like he, we have no idea where they're going. And then the mother like kind of, starts to cry and she's like she says I love all my children equally but when one is in danger I have to act and then she closes the door and they're all like they're all like oh my god they killed that kid and then they just walk away yeah so like (laughs) and that's like the end of the episode like that's this show is disturbing and it really like is going to these places that it's like, you know, the show is like uh, the real evil is society. It's like one of those things. Uh-huh. And um, it's I really like this show because it's messy and the main characters are kind of failing at their job. Like they're not really. Like they're they're uncovering the like capital E evil with like that it's like oh there's really no demons and there's no possession here but like they're uncovering the real evil which is like humanity right mm-hmm. and I have no idea where this show's gonna go I have no idea if it's if like that's what the show is trying to do. And if it's just going to get even more messed up as this season goes, but like, holy shit, these first four episodes have been like really good and like dark, but also really funny and really interesting. And I can just see like, I can see this show like in the second season, like they kind of drop the the like case of the week stuff and they like really start to go into these like really dark things that they're setting up and kind of get more of a like you know a more like a longer narrative Mm -hmm. um and uh, like i can if the show is given time i can really see it like almost growing into something like lost and like having this huge like backstory and all these like all these um, like weird like lore narratives that they just dive into. Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch it. Uh, it's it's really dark. Um, it, it's not like dark as in as in it's like a horror show. Like it's very funny, and even like the like uh, dark elements are kind of like goofy and funny. Um, But then like what I just described, there's these moments of just sheer terror where it's like, holy shit, I can't believe this show went there. Hmm. And it's really weird that they just kind of let it sit. And like, yeah, the 
that is kind of unique for a procedural, mm. like to mm. to really double down on the not having a clean, happy ending at the end of each episode, or like. You know, that, that mm. sounds pretty fucked up uh, <laughs> place to leave your audience at the end of an hour. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And just like it's so fucked up that the main characters just kind of walk away like they almost like there's nothing else they can do. Right. Or I mean, they almost accept it as like this is the best outcome, which is like really fucked up. Man. Mm. All um, right. Cool. So, yeah. Watch it. Uh, it's on CBS, so that means it's on CBS All Access. Um, uh, I bought it the whole. I bought it on Xbox for twenty dollars for a whole season. Um, so hopefully it'll be worth it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the three actors are so good together. So that alone, I think, is going to be really worth it to watch this this whole series but yes um yeah if you have cbs all access or you have like you can like dvr stuff like definitely check out evil because i think it's to show that should be it's a show that i hope is very successful i would like to see this run for a few seasons um because i really want to see just how weird it gets all um, right. All right. That is it for this episode of Credits Due. Thank you uh, so much, everyone, for um, thank you, everyone, for joining us and listening in. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks where we'll be talking about our next movie um, called Regarding Henry. It's another Mike Nichols joint. So back to back. Director, oh, great. Um, I believe this movie is supposed to be really good. This is another one that I haven't seen, but I've heard this is one of those movies that gets thrown out as like a really good, like hidden gem. So Whoa, it's written by J.J. Abrams. Oh shit! What? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Wild, and I think I mean I assume timeline. That's probably an early. JJ like maybe yeah it was under the name Jeffrey Abrams so he wasn't even JJ yet yeah before <laughs> before he before he switched his name it, it was BJ before JJ okay all right let's wrap this up all right until then Tyler why don't you tell people where they can find more of your crude jokes Oh, yeah, you can uh, find me on the David Duchovny fan site, um, <laughs> David Duchovny BJ's.com. And okay. <laughs> no, you can find me on Twitter at Tyler Owen, and that's pretty much it. Sweet. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Neilman and on Pornhub. <laughs> same username. Same username. Great. Uh, you can follow. You can listen to my other podcast called Pivotal Tracks, where I uh, interview musicians about a song that inspired them. Uh, you can find that that at Anchor.fm forward slash Pivotal Tracks. And until next time, where we'll be talking about regarding Henry, uh, written by the amazing Jeffrey. James Abrams. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
uh, thank you for listening. Uh, see you then. And remember, as always, the earth moved. The angels wept. The Polaroids are uh, are in my other coat. I after you said you could find you on Pornhub, all I could think of us are those videos that you see occasionally where it's like uh pounding a giant rod or something like that and it's like just a dude like putting a a post into the ground like <laughs>